Good morning, everybody. Uh, thanks for having me in your, your lounge rooms again this week. Uh, with COVID, this is what we've got to do. And yeah, I hope you're nice and comfortable. Actually, you're looking nice and comfortable, nice and relaxed. Hope you've got a cuppa. Uh, and good morning to Ben. Thanks for uh, your amazing intro into this uh, last talk in this series. Uh, you're on fire this morning too. But how about I pray and then we'll uh, have a look a bit deeper into this passage. Dear Father God, we just thank you for the way you speak to us, the way you guide us through all our ups and downs in life, that you never abandon us. And Lord, I just thank you for speaking to us in this moment. And we pray that you'd help us to understand you more, learn how to trust you more. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you know if you can trust someone? I remember at high school when I first saw that exercise where you fall back into the arms of someone else to find out how you can trust other people. And I remember that exercise very clearly because when we, uh, the teacher explained how it all worked, we got into partners, so me and my buddy uh, got together and the teacher explained how the person at the front is to lean back, trust that the person behind them was going to catch them. For what resulted, I blame my teacher really, because that was the only instructions we got, because I didn't realise you had to catch them fairly high up and not down here like this. So we didn't have to call the ambulance afterwards, although there were some injuries, there were plenty of bruises, and the trust was in question. But the bigger trust factor was when we had to reverse the roles, where I had to fall into his arms. And in fact, after dropping my mate, I didn't trust him at all. I didn't do the exercise because the trust was so bad, rightly so, me letting him down. But there's an exercise of trust that God is calling us to trust him. And it's been going on throughout time, throughout the time of humanity. God's saying, trust me, trust me. Do you know, 48 times in the Bible, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And every time he's saying it, he's saying to his people, you can trust me. Remember what happened back in Egypt. Back in Egypt, where God's people were slaves to the Egyptians. And they, they had no hope, no future, and they were uh, abused in that situation. And God's saying, trust me. Sent plagues, dealt with Pharaoh, got them out of Egypt. But then they come across the Red Sea and God's saying, trust me, opened up the water, saved them from Pharaoh and got rid of Pharaoh. They're in the desert and they're hungry. And God says, trust me, and gives them manna and quail every day, food and bread to eat. Trust me. They, he leads them up to the promised land and he says, enter it, trust me. And even then, they had trouble trusting him and they didn't enter, which led to another 40 years wandering in the desert. All throughout the Bible, God's saying, trust me, I've never let you down. 48 times, he's saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Remember, you could trust me then. Because God is the God over all creation. He controls all things. You can trust him because he's a mighty, mighty God. He controls everything and he provides for his people. Now, the God of the Old Testament is still the same God that we worship today. He hasn't changed. In fact, the other thing that hasn't changed is that question, do you trust me? When God says, even to us, like he did to the Israelites, do you trust me? In this series of rich generosity, we might notice we've talked a lot about money, 
but we're talking all about God, about knowing him and what he's like and can we trust him. And the way we use our money is a display of that. It's how we express ourselves as we trust in God in all our actions, but even with our stuff, our money. So in this last passage we're going to look at, there's four principles and four practices that Paul encourages us to think about. We're going to pick it up, uh, so chapter 9, picking it up from verse 6. Where he gives a message where the principle, it's better to give than receive. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And what he's pulling up an image there of a farmer. You know, if you're a farmer and you want a big crop, you've got to sow lots of seed. If you only sow a little bit of seed, you're not going to get much crop. And, you know, if it was that simple, we'd all be farmers, wouldn't we? You know, plant a seed, and as that plant grows and, and produces the crop, you, you'll, you multiply your seed by a hundred times, or some crops even more than a hundred times. You get a good reward. But if only it was that easy. Because for a farmer, he's got to actually invest in the seed to put it into the ground. So for a farmer to plant out a big field might cost him, say for example, $20,000 in seed. You're just ploughing your money into the ground. And if you think that it's just going to rain and it's all going to grow and everything's rosy, it'll be happy days. But actually if you've been around farming communities, they know if there's no rain, there's no crop. If storms come, if the wind blows the crop down, it's not going to produce fruit. If the, if the floods come, it's going to wash it all away. If mould comes, it ruins the crop. And then you've got insects and mice that come in and want to eat your crop. Everything is trying to stop your crop from growing. So it's a high risk. So what a farmer does then is work out, are we in drought? Is, is there any chance of rain? It's going to weigh up the risk. It looks like it's going to flood. So if there's a high risk he might decide not to do a full 20 grand worth of seed. He might decide to just have a little bit just to, just to get some sort of crop, but I might only invest five grand worth of seed. He's only going to produce, and if everything works out well, he's only going to produce a smaller harvest, but at least it's lower risk because it's a high risk. So many things are out of your control when you're a farmer. So many things can ruin your crop. The principle Paul is talking about here is when you know you've got a Father God who's in control, a Father God you can trust, you have all the confidence to invest heavily in your harvest because you know it's going to uh, produce lots. If you invest heavily in your seed, you're going to guarantee to get a good harvest. If a farmer was guaranteed to get a good harvest, he'd be not only investing 20 grand, he'd be throwing everything in because the harvest is huge. But for a farmer, there's risk. Well, Paul's saying, if you had a father God, when we throw out our seed, when we sow our seed, we're guaranteed a big harvest because there's no risk. This is how God works. You can trust him. Now, we should explain, though, if we push this passage too hard, we get into trouble because it's not talking about 
dollar for dollar type stuff. If I'm going to uh, give away $10, I should expect 100 times that back, $1,000 back. We'd be giving all our money away and becoming even more and more richer and wealthier. And we just know that that doesn't work. But it actually lines up with something that Jesus said. When Jesus said, when he told all his disciples and the people around him, it's better to give than receive, it was actually at the teaching point to a rich man. A rich man came to him and Jesus says, well, give all your stuff away. Give all your stuff to the poor and then you will inherit the kingdom of God. He doesn't say give away all your stuff because you're rich and you'll get 10 times or 100 times more stuff back. No, no, no. He's saying give your stuff away and you'll inherit something even greater. You'll inherit the kingdom of God. What's that worth? Much more. The harvest will be much more beneficial for you. The other thing in this illustration, this illustration works really well, is that it it teaches us about the farmer and the cost of the farmer. If he was going to uh, play it safe, he might only invest $5,000 worth of seed. It's going to cost him a little bit. It's not going to hurt too much just to see how it goes. But he'd only get a little harvest. If he was to, wanted a big harvest, he would have to plough in $20,000 worth of seed. That's going to hurt. What could you do with $20,000? Apart from ploughing it into the ground. But he ploughs it into the ground, hoping for that big harvest. It's costing him. He's putting it on the line for the rich harvest at the end. That's the kind of generosity that we're being called to have. We want to be uh, sowing richly or generously to reap generously. There's a cost involved and we need to have a level of generosity that reflects that. But with God that we can trust in, we can't lose. We can't lose. That's the first one. It's better to be giving than receiving because you're the one that will reap the harvest. The second thing is that we give from a cheerful heart. This is where Paul says uh, in verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, Asking, this is asking another question of do you trust me? But it's hitting it at a different angle. And this continues the farmer illustration where that's helpful. Because even for a farmer, every season is different. For every farmer, it's different in his fields. It would be unwise for a farmer to just have a policy. Well, my dad sowed 20 grand worth of seed into my paddock. I'm going to throw in 20 grand worth of seed into my paddock every year. Every year we do the same thing, regardless of the conditions, we're going to do the same thing. That would be unwise. What a farmer does, he looks at the weather charts, looks at the ground, looks at the the moisture levels, and he weighs it all up to make a wise decision. Are there storms coming that's going to flood my fields? Is is there an infestation of mould or mice or insects that's going to damage my crop? He's going to weigh up how much seed he ploughs in every year because every season is different. And I think that applies for us too. Each of us have different fields, you might say, and each of us are going through different seasons in, in life. Sometimes there's things that we're in control of. 
And this is where we encouraged everybody uh, a couple of weeks back to think through a, a budget. Because when we do our budget, we work out where is our money going, what can we control and not control. Because sometimes when we do that exercise, we realise actually, we actually waste a lot of money. We buy a lot of takeout and that's expensive. We actually pay for a lot of services, services that we could do ourselves. We actually go through our money without thinking about it. Sometimes we're in control of those things and we can make adjustments to it. But there are other seasons where things go a little bit out of control. You know, when you have an injury or illness and our medical bills start piling up. When we lose some of our income, whether our jobs are, are cut back or maybe even we lose our jobs, that's a different season again where we're not in control compared to what we were. There's even seasons where things are actually quite okay, we're quite comfortable. Two-income households, no kids at home, the investments start to pay off, we get a tax return. There's seasons where things are actually looking brighter financially than they were before. So the principle here is to actually weigh that up. What are you going through? Look at what you, you have, what God has given you, and then you can work out how much you can give because every season is going to be different. There's wisdom in that. And just like the farmer who makes the decision, if he looks at the weather forecast and goes, yes, I can see there's rain on the horizon, I can see this is going to be a good season, I'm going to plough lots of money in or a little money in worth of seed, he's at peace with that decision. He's made a conscious decision and he can be satisfied with the decision he's made. That's where the cheerful heart comes from. If you've actually made a decision, you looked at your budget and just gone, hey, I know I can give this. Does, even if it's stretching me, I can do this. I can give with a cheerful heart. I'm not doing under compulsion. I'm not pressured to do it because everybody else is doing it. But I've looked at my own situation and I can do it. I like these verses because it pushes against everything else that cringes against us you know this whole series this, this rich generosity is just a money grab for the church everybody needs to increase their giving it's not saying that at all it's actually saying you need to be wise about your giving you need to weigh it up you need to weigh up this trusting God and but also being responsible with what God has given you and through that you can make a wise choice to have a cheerful heart when you give it's actually the opposite to what we experience in many other places in life. This whole thing about giving from a cheerful heart is sometimes it's stretched for us. But to be generous is giving beyond what's comfortable. So to give with a smile from a cheerful heart is to go, I often think of when we to do that, when the bucket comes around and I know that I'm giving beyond what I'm comfortable with, but as long as I've got a smile, God's happy with that. So putting my money in the bucket with a smile, but deep down I know that smile is more like a cringe. All the things I could do with that money, God must be pleased. As long as I've got a smile, God's pleased with me because I'm not doing it begrudgingly. But deep down it's a cringe. It's like, it's like paying the tax man. We cringe at paying tax. Have you seen how much tax you pay? And we cringe at that because we have to pay it. It's compulsion. You pay it or you get into trouble. And we don't like paying tax for that reason. God doesn't want that attitude at all. 
He actually says, I want you to do it with a joyful heart. And that's actually a better way of understanding that last little bit. For God loves a cheerful giver. Sounds like if you give generously, you will be cheerful as a result of giving, cheer- giving generously. But it could be translated, your giving should come from a cheerful heart. It's your con- heart of contentment and satisfaction that actually drives what you're giving. It can work both ways, the way that's, uh, the way that's written there. But it is like the farmer. When you've done your calculations, when you've worked it out, and you're content with your decision, you are at peace with that. And you can give cheerfully. You can also uh, wish you could give more. That would even delight you even further. So be wise. Give from a cheerful heart. Uh, the third thing, give out of God's generosity to you. Now this is hitting God's generosity and trusting him from another different angle again. And it addresses that tension. Well, I've only got so much money and if I give generously, I'm going to run out of money and I'm going to be the one that's be poor and need, need help anyway. This is where Paul goes on in verse 8. There's a little bit going on in this, so I'm just going to break up uh, one verse at a time. In verse 8, he says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, in all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. This is in the context, if God is in control of everything, everything is God's, everything belongs to God, and what he gives to you, he's entrusting you with that. He's giving you responsibility over it. And to be continuing in these good works is to show that I am responsible. This is how God wants me to use my money, to, to, to use what I need, but to also use money to help others, to be practising that good works. God provides. It's his money. He entrusts us with it to be good stewards of it. Now, Paul does this interesting thing here. He goes on and quotes a psalm, Psalm 112. And this psalm actually makes some of us, from our conservative evangelical circles, a little uncomfortable because he's talking about wealth and how to view wealth. In Psalm 112, uh, the verse he quotes is from verse 9. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures endures forever. But when you look at the whole psalm, it's actually talking about a scenario where, where the psalmist is looking at God's people and he's going, God's doing something amazing here through these people because he describes the people. And I encourage you to read Psalm 112 later on this morning after the service. He says, these people are mighty, they're upright and they're blessed. These, are, these people are doing well. Verse 3, he describes them as their wealth and riches are in their houses. Their righteousness endures forever. What strikes me there is he's saying wealth itself is not a bad thing. In fact, God is the one that's making them wealthy. But it's not a bad thing for these people because it's not about how much money they've got. It's about what they do with it. Because the psalm goes on in verse 4. For they are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. These people don't cling on to their money. 
They're actually very generous with their money. They help others and bless others with their, their money and their wealth. That's why, he says in verse 9, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. They're not hanging on to their money. They're generous to help others. Their righteousness endures forever. These people are wise. They're good stewards with what God has given them responsibility for. See, God doesn't have a problem with wealth. In fact, he's the one who provides their wealth. But he trusts these people. Why? Because they bless others with it. They're good stewards of it. In fact, using their money to bless others is counted as righteous. It actually pleases God in that way. In fact, Jesus told a story that aligns with this very well. Jesus told the story about a king who was leaving town for a while and he gave three of his servants a bag of money each and he asked them to be responsible with it. And when he left, one guy invested the money and made a big profit, put it to work and made a big profit for his master. The middle one did a few things with his money, made it grow to a medium size. The third servant actually didn't want to lose that money, so he buried it in a hole. And when the king come back and asked the servants what they did with his money, the guy who made it work and produced lots more money out of it, he says, you're a good and faithful servant. Here, have more gold. And here, why don't you manage some of my cities that I oversee? To the one who had a medium amount, he says, good work. Here, have, have a, an equal amount of gold. And here, manage a couple of cities. But to the guy who buried the money who didn't use it responsibly, the king called him wicked and kicked him out of the house with nothing and put him out onto the street because he wasn't responsible. That's a story from Jesus. That God wants us to be responsible with what he's given us. He wants us to trust him and to be generous to others. So then when we get to verse 10, it pulls this all together. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower, talked about that, seed to the sower and bread for, the food, uh, bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. See, God will keep supplying. If he knows he can trust you, he will continue to fill your storehouse so you can be blessing to others more and more. It reminds me of a story, a real event, uh, a number of years ago. Somebody who was at Southside, they're not at Southside now, uh, come to me and said, this is my goal in life. I want to uh, make good, wise choices. I'm going to make lots of money. But the aim of that is to, to fund your ministry. Talking to me. He says, I want you to think about how we're going to reach our community. No matter what you need, whether you need more people, more staff, whatever, I want to be there to pay it for you. I don't want you to be worried about money. I want you to be worried just looking at winning people for Christ. Now, I've got to say, as a pastor, that does stroke my ego a bit. Just saying. It's a good feeling when people uh, want to back your ministry like that. But there, there was a couple of problems with that. One, the guy didn't even have a job. And two, the way he talked about money uh, truly indicated that he wasn't even giving at all. It was his money and his stuff and what he wanted to do to advance himself. Now, I wonder then, 
Why would God trust him with anything? Why would God trust him with some of his wealth if he's not even being generous a little bit, let let alone giving him a lot to be generous a lot? If you're not showing responsibility for what you've got now, why would God bless you and give you more opportunities? See, this is not just a question for that guy. Why would God give him anything? It's actually a good question for us, for me. Why would God give me anything? How have I shown that I'm responsible for what God has given me? It's actually very confronting because it flips the question. We want to say, God, can I trust you? But it's actually a question of God saying, hey, can I trust you? But when he can see uh, that he can trust us, it says here that God will keep providing for you. If you have a generous heart, continue to be generous and I'll give you more stuff to be generous with. It's an encouraging lesson because we are to give out of God's generosity to us and God is generous to us. Pulls it together in this last point, how giving is worship. Now through this last passage, it describes all the things that giving achieves. I'll just run through a few uh, pick out a few highlights. Our giving supplies the needs of others. Our giving expresses thanks to God. Our giving encourages others to praise God. Our giving shows our obedience to God. Our giving is a confession of the gospel of Christ at work in our life, that we can trust God. And our giving is the result of the surpassing grace God has given us. See, our giving is an expression of what God has done to us. We want to return that. We want to return that. I trust in the God who's control of all things. He's my protector and my provider. And even through that incredible gift that he says in verse 15, the gift of Jesus himself, God doesn't hold back on us. He's blessed us in many, many ways. And we give out of response to that. Now, This is a whole act of worship, saying God is my king. I'm not going to cling on to money and put my trust in money. I'm going to trust in him. And that is worship. I'm actually a bit sad that uh, since the COVID thing happened and we're not allowed to pass buckets around in the service, that we've actually lost something in our, what we might call our worship service. You know, when we get together on church, uh, we sing songs to him, we praise him, we, we read from his word, we hear from him. We draw near to God through this time. That's why we've, we've actually had lots of discussions. Over 90% of our people give online. We don't actually need the buckets uh, to facilitate everybody's giving. We could do a box at the door. But the practice of passing the buckets around is going, well, am I worshipping God with my money? Even if I do it electronically or, or with cash on the day, it's a symbol of, am I taking this seriously, my worship of him? Am I honouring God through that? By not doing the buckets, it's kind of taken that away from our worship. It's not confronting enough. But let me encourage you, think of your giving as an act of worship. However you do it, whether it's in person, online, uh, it is an act of worship and as a response, it's an expression of thanks to God even with how we use our money. So how's your trust in God with your money? Can I encourage you 
to pray about that, to talk to God. You know, he's there, he's your Father God. To actually pray about uh, the amount of money that you have, your heart to, to how much you want to give. Do you want to be giving more? Talk to God about that. Don't just pray about that, have a plan. Because this calls us to be responsible and being responsible has a plan. And even if you do a plan, pray again. Say, God, I, I'm, I'm not giving as much as I want to give. Can you help me out? What can I do to have that opportunity? But do something. Do something. It's actually not doing any of this is the wrong response. Showing you don't trust God. I'm going to pray now because I know there's many people in different situations in our church family. I'm going to pray for all of us that no matter what season we're in, God will enable us and put on our hearts to, to express our love for him through, through the way we use our money and the way we bless others. Would you pray with me? Dear Father God, we just thank you that we can trust in you. We have seen your mighty acts, particularly through what you did in the Old Testament, through the Egyptians, but even in the New Testament, through giving your son to us. You've been so generous to us. Lord, we recognise that you are the one who's in control of all things. All things belong to you and what we have is only a gift from you that you've entrusted us with. So Lord, I pray for those people in our church that things might be really tough at the moment, different seasons of life, different things that are going on with work or expenses. Lord, we pray that you'd help continue... Help them to, to have a heart that continues to trust in you, to cling to you, to not see money as the answer, but to trust in you more and more. Lord, we pray for those uh, who, are, who are in need of comfort in this, this point, whether it's COVID-related or stress-related, work-related. Lord, you are the God of comfort, the provider of all things, and we just ask that you'd be involved in our lives. And Lord, lastly, I want to praise you for the people who have gone before us that have had extremely generous hearts, the people who have uh, led the way for us to be here at Southside, to be in this amazing building, to be, uh, have opportunities to, to conduct many ministries to try and reach our community, whether it's uh, being generous with their, their money, but also their time and give, freely giving of their talents as well. Lord, I just thank you for the generous hearts of the people around us and we just pray that we can learn from that that we'll all have a spirit of generosity that we express our trust in you our worship and praise of you even with the things uh, that we have around us like our money thank you for being a good god and never letting us go so we commit each of us to you now in jesus name amen